Welcome to Throwback Trivia Takedown, and we are continuing our small month hiatus while we revamp stuff, but uh, we wanted to bring you uh, another episode from a show on the Beef Up Network, and today we are giving you Talking Back. This show is hosted by Tim and Dean Manis, two brothers as well, similar to us, um, who just have their cool takes on all kinds of things, nostalgic, pop culture, some recent movies, TV, comics. They do all kinds of different stuff. We really love those guys. Yeah, they're fantastic. They're a lot of fun to talk to. We've actually, we're on their uh, show Probably around coming out probably around the same time this one has coming out. We did we talked uh, dread, which was oh so much fun. No, that would have been several weeks ago. Okay, my bad. Whatever. It, go check it out too. <laughs> go check <laughs> I, it out. I don't remember. So, um, but uh, this episode they are giving you just a fantastic movie. I think everybody kn- knows this one. They are talking the Princess Bride. And just as a heads up before you get into this episode, uh, do know that uh, Talking Back does have some foul language at times, not nearly as much as I think Adam and Corey talk about in some of their other shows. But we try and keep things clean on Throwback Trivia Takedown. But just beware, if you are listening to this, there is a chance that there is some unedited bad language in it. All right, enjoy. The Blast from Our Past Network. This week on Talking Back, sometimes having an extra finger just doesn't work out for you. Talking Back. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Talking Back, the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim, and with me is co-host Dean. Listeners, are you, are you in for a treat? Because I'm sure that lots of you are fans of this movie because how could you not be because it's awesome this this is a universally loved movie i think i feel like it is i feel like the only hate you can give this movie is if just like everyone at school was talking about it when you were young and you hadn't seen it and you know you're just like oh well i hate that now because everyone knows it and i don't yeah that's a good that's a good point i don't really like subscribe all that much to Rotten Tomatoes, but I did notice mm. that this movie had a 97% uh, rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which I don't know if I've wow. seen a movie higher than that. Uh, I haven't That's seen very deserved. Many. I usually, on Rotten Tomatoes, I usually see the low scores because yeah. <laughs> oftentimes those are the movies <laughs> I end up watching. <laughs> right. And then you're like, oh, I wonder what it is on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, and you're like, what, 37? Well, whatever. <laughs> Whoa. Take it easy, people. Lighten up, people. Have I have I mentioned that yet on this podcast, that people should just lighten up a little bit? Have some fun with a movie. Yeah, just like, yeah, seriously. Just chill out. Have some fun. It's just a movie. Yeah, I know Sorry, you're I'm being not, paid I'm as not... a critic, <laughs> and you're supposed to, your opinion matters, and you're supposed to actually, like, say whether we should see the movie or not, but you know what? Lighten up. Just give it a fresh tomato. Who cares? Yes, exactly. And uh, I just want to clarify, I'm not speaking directly to the listeners here i'm speaking to the other people who are like tight asses i know all of our listeners are wonderful people we love them all thank you so much for tuning in we love you i'm talking about the other people you know who wouldn't they'd turn their nose up at a podcast just be like oh podcasts forget that all the people not listening that's who you're talking about that's right yes exactly what group is bigger the people listening or the people not listening uh it's like right cut right down the middle close it's Straight very close middle. yeah so we're doing the princess bride yeah 
I always feel like, why do I announce it? Because if there, have you ever listened to a podcast and not read what the subject of the podcast was? I feel <laughs> Has like we don't even need to do that. Has anyone ever just clicked on a podcast? Has there ever been a nameless podcast and you just click on it and then they tell you in the opening what the podcast is about and then you're like, oh, wow, awesome. Here's the thing, Tim. I've got a situation for you. What if somebody just found the podcast talking back and they're binging through it all and they just have it on like cycle. They just have play the next one, but they're doing their laundry and they don't really know. They don't have time to look at their phone. Boom. We just told them Princess Bride. Now they're pumped. That's actually a hell of a point, Dean. Yes. Yeah. For we all just you saved people... them from having to go to their phone. Right. For all you people out there doing laundry, we are talking about the Princess Bride this week. Okay. Classic. It is a classic. It's going to be fun. So released in 1987 with a budget of $16 million, this movie grosses $31 million. So just about money doubled, but I'm very surprised at that number. That's so low. It seems low, but I really feel... Everybody loves this. I know. I feel like this movie probably tripled that in VHS and DVD sales. Oh, yeah, for sure. This is what they call a cult classic, I guess. Yeah, that's where everybody saw it, was like on VHS or... Yeah. Probably VHS. That's where I saw it. Probably. I I think I saw it on VHS at uh, Grandma's house. Grandma's house, really? Yeah, I know. I wonder if it was our cousins who lived next door who brought it over. They only had Robin Hood. (laughs) Maybe it was Robin Hood I watched. (laughs) Yeah, they had Robin Hood and the Castaway Cowboys. Those are the two VHSs they had. They didn't have the Princess Bride? I don't think so. Yeah, maybe you brought it. Maybe you brought it. I just remember being like six years old and only remembering Anybody Want a Peanut and thinking that that this was the greatest movie ever made because of that. Okay. That's an odd thing to... It's all I can remember. All I can pull from watching it, but I remember sitting at Grandma's house hearing Anybody Want a Peanut and laughing my little ass off. Okay. That's a great fact. Now, this is directed by Rob Reiner. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of this dude's directing work. Tim, this like, is another another time where you can just jump out that window next to you. Why? What do you mean? I love Rob Reiner. Oh, seriously? Yeah, he's great. You Rob Reiner's I mean, great. I, like, I love Stand By Me, obviously, and uh, okay. I liked A Few Good Men, but I don't know. I'm not a fan of this dude. Other than that. When I'm Harry Met Sally... Movie. No, it's classic. Oh, oh, well, here's the problem with that is I was going to yeah. save this for later, but I am, I'm not a Billy Crystal fan. Okay. So okay. that movie can, that movie can jump out a window, Dean. That movie can be tossed out your window. Actually, hell, when I jump out, I'm grabbing that movie and it's coming with me. <laughs> We're going to do it together. If I'm going, you're coming with me. That's right. <laughs> okay. That's fair. Okay. The screenplay was by William Goldman who was also the um, original writer for the novel, The Princess Bride, that came out in 73. Okay, cool. He came up with the name for the movie when he asked his two daughters what his next book should be about. And one of them said a princess, and the other one said a bride. (laughs) Great. (laughs) That is great. I love it. Now, music on this one is by Mark Knopfler, who's the lead guitarist, singer, and songwriter of Dire Straits. Now, this was news to me, and I'm kind of blown away by this, that yeah. he's the guy who did the music. Yeah. You don't really get, like, um, like famous, you know, I guess you'd, I'd call them alternative rock, but you don't really get, like, famous rock stars doing movie scores all that often. And back in yeah, this right day, now just, it's just... 
I'm trying to go through the music right now and and think of if I would have been able to pull that. Like, I, I don't think I would know that. You could never know that. It's all very, like, just fantasy kind of inspired music. Yeah, so. it is. Yeah. He did a good job. For sure. It's great. There's some, like, amazing pieces of music in these scenes. Mm-hmm. Now, the cast, uh, I don't really want to get too much into the cast because there's just so many amazing actors and actresses yeah. in this. But we'll get there. I feel like um, most people have seen this movie and they under they already know and understand who all these people are. But I do want to say that I think the performances put in by these people is what makes this film so magical. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I can't imagine one of them not being in it. Or one of these role being, roles being played by somebody else. I just, I can't. I won't. Totally. I won't, Dean. And I don't have to, actually. I don't have to. I don't even want to entertain the idea. Move on, Tim. Uh, well, I mean, if you want to be moving on, then we're moving on right into the story. So let's just do it then. We start off and we hear a kid coughing. And he's playing some retro video games. <laughs> Bink. That was not the actual music for the video game. <laughs> they dubbed it. Was it, it not? <laughs> you know, they dubbed it after to make it even better. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I think I played this video game. Like, I feel like I've played this video game. Maybe it's just that I've watched this movie a million times, but I also feel like I've played this. I think it's probably that because uh, watching it, I felt like it was a Nintendo game, but it's not. It's like a, a Coleco, ColecoVision oh, game or yeah. something. He had like a joystick. That's like right. It's an older, yeah, so older system. So yeah. yeah, the chances are probably pretty rare that you actually played this one. But it's baseball. I mean, all baseballs, all old baseballs look the same. Yeah. This this kid, this kid we see is Fred Savage. Dude, it's Fred Savage. Yeah, Wonder Years. Did you watch Wonder Years? I did watch Wonder Years. Big fan of Wonder Years. Me Fred too. Savage. And he slays it as this little kid. Oh, He's man. incredible. He does kill it. Well, he's a he was a great child actor for sure. Totally amazing. Now, I already have to derail us on this podcast, Dean, because I've got a personal story I want to share. And it's that this movie, I would always watch when I was homesick from school. And I was homesick a lot. You know, sometimes I was sick and sometimes I was not sick. You just don't feel like going to school. (laughs) It happens. Because if you stay home, you get to watch Price is Right and Princess Bride. But it's a great day. I don't, this is the part I don't understand. Mom would let me binge on potato chips when I was feeling sick and watch this movie. (laughs) So I have all these great memories of eating ketchup chips and watching this movie. And I don't, I don't know if it was like, maybe mom was just like, well, I'm just happy he's eating something because he's feeling sick. I don't care what it is. Maybe. But yeah. I'd just be like, can I have a bag of chips to watch this movie with? Oh, yeah, sure. Here you go. Do you want more chips later? Yeah. Yeah, probably. That'd be good. But I feel like she would be, the chips aren't going to make you worse and you're feeling bad. So you need a nice treat to make you feel better. Exactly. So I have wonderful memories of this movie. Oh, amazing, um, man. Just Oh, I just loved it. Yeah. So Fred, uh, Fred Savage, he's also feeling sick. And his grandpa comes to cheer him up and brings him a book, Dean. He doesn't want a book. Mm-hmm. He's playing video games. Don't no, interrupt. Don't he interrupt. definitely doesn't book. want to put down a video game for a book. Tim, when have you ever put down a video game for a book? Even now. Never. Never. <laughs> never. If I'm playing video games and I get a thought of reading a book, oh my goodness, it's never happening. I will never go walk to that shelf and pick up that book. The only time that's going to happen is if it's a strategy guide because I'm stuck in the video game. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, exactly. And then I like, oh, what, the, then I what do I do right now? Good thing I got this strategy guide beside me or this book of cheat codes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but they're going to read this book together right now. The whole thing. It Perfect. sounded It sounded terrifying to me. This is going to be a really boring movie if we're just watching a, a grandpa read a grandson a book. Yeah, definitely. I was thinking the same thing. So he starts reading the book. And we meet Buttercup and Wesley. Now, there are two main characters. And mm-hmm. Wesley works for Buttercup on her farm. And they fall in love. But Wesley needs to leave so he can go earn his fortune, Dean. And then come back and properly yeah. marry Buttercup. Yeah, because he's got no money to wed. No. He doesn't. No. Uh, Unfortunately, after he leaves, word gets back to Buttercup that Wesley's ship was attacked by pirates, and he is presumed to be murdered. Murdered by pirates is good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. But Buttercup is very sad, Dean, and she is vowed to never love again. Oh, boy. So it's already an emotional roller coaster. It's, you know what? We're right in it, and it's it's, uh, living up to the Princess Bride right now. Yeah. Now we meet a Prince Humperdinck. He's the nobleman of uh, this kingdom that we see. And he has chosen Buttercup to be his bride because he's allowed to do that. He can just choose anyone he wants. Right. The way the way it goes when you're the king. That's right. Yeah. Well, he's the prince. <laughs> or, or I guess the prince. He's the prince. S- yeah. Soon to be king. Once yeah. he murders his family and everybody. <laughs> right, Once he murders right. everybody. He'll be king. <laughs> Once you kill everyone, if you're the prince, if you kill everyone, you're king. That's right. Yeah. That's <laughs> how it works. <laughs> That's right. Um, the thing, though, is Dean Buttercup is not really into it. She's not really into Humperdinck. No, I'm but. surprised, though. She... He's a handsome dude. Handsome dude. Handsome, powerful, rich dude. It's true, Tim, but you've already forgot what you said. She swore to never love again. So oh, she's not going to love. She'll marry, but she's not going to love. Right. And I think it's I think it's a good point to mention right now that uh, little Fred Savage is not too into this book at this point. No, he's not. <laughs> he thinks there's, there's too much kissing. He wants them to skip kissing. And there is not enough uh, sports, as he uh, requested earlier. Um, he asked he asked grandfather if there are sports in the book, and his grandfather had a lot of long list of things that were similar to sports, and they have not come up yet. Mm. His grandfather just love and emotions and kissing. His grandfather probably told him what we often tell people: "We'll get to it." Yeah, exactly. Wait for it. Now, lucky for Buttercup, though, she's very quickly kidnapped by three men of varying sizes. <laughs> works out they're just lined her. up in a row when you see them first they are yeah it's <laughs> right. it's and kind of odd but dude, i like it dude right away these three are just popping oh, each one totally. of them is just the best every single every single thing that each one of them has to say great characters and right away like tim right away the best friend radars are just going off the charts right here yeah like i'm just like okay i have lots to choose from now yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm not getting best friend vibes from uh, Vicini, though. No, not not Vicini. Okay, just but to be clear about that. An- no, yeah, but Anigo and and Fezic, Fezic, I mean, like, for sure. I just want to be in that group right now. Like, bring me along on that boat. Yeah. Um, well, they place Buttercup on that boat and they sail off. And Vicini, the smallest of the three men, seems to be the leader. So For I guess, sure, yeah. I guess that pulls weight in his kingdom. The lack of yeah. height must pull weight. Yeah, totally. He's also the bossiest. Yeah, he's the bossiest. Well, he's the boss. He's the boss. Boss is yeah, the boss. Yeah, because he's the boss. He's pushing everyone around. Good one, Dean. Yeah, that was a good one. 
Do you know when you have like something to say and then you don't listen to what the other person has to say and then you say it and it <laughs> doesn't make sense because you didn't listen. Cool. Now, they are sailing through the night when they notice a ship is following them. A mystery ship. Yeah. Yeah, but they, Tim, they notice in a hilarious way. It is, it is hilarious. It is. Are you sure you think there's someone following us? No, there's no one <laughs> yeah. following. You sure there's no one following us? You don't think it's possible Why? anyone's following us? <laughs> Why do you keep doing that? He's like, are you sure nobody's ah, following no, us? Because like, there's somebody following us. I look back and, and then somebody's it gets following like, us. Yes. You have this back and forth for so long until it finally gets to, why do you ask? Because uh, I turned around and I saw something. <laughs> <laughs> turned around and I saw a ship back You could have started with that. You <laughs> yeah. could have said, hey, there's someone following us. Oh, man. I, I love the it. The dialogue there's... in this movie is so perfect. It and is. here is where it's starting to just like, we really realize with this three that it's like, okay, you know what? There are going to be a lot of zingers to pull out of this one. I'm laughing constantly at everything these three have to say. Yeah. And this movie's moving real fast too. Like they just get right oh, yeah. into it and we go. Yeah. No real slowdowns here. So when they see this ship following them and they're distracted, Buttercup takes this opportunity to jump overboard into eel infested waters. Mm. And we cut back to uh, Fred and his his grandpa here. Um, So this is obviously like a reoccurring thing. It's already happened a couple times. We just jump back and forth between them reading the book and us kind of like watching the movie of what they're reading. So I'm not going to be jumping back every time they jump back. Uh, We get it. It happens. But it's just such a great narration device. It is so funny whenever it happens. It, you know, you know, the kid is saying things that we're thinking. It's it's just you know, we're putting in this great fantasy movie and we're like, wait, where's all the action? Where's all the thing? And then we get someone saying, wait for it. You know, it's coming. Don't give it some time. And it's it's so perfect. I love all the bounce back and forths between uh, the actual story and then, you know, Fred Savage freaking out on his bed because whatever, it doesn't have enough action or, you know, it's too intense or whatever it is. It's it's really, really funny. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Um, like, in the movie, like as we're watching the, fa- the the fairy tale and the fantasy, in that movie, we um, choose characters that we like and identify with. But really, the people that you truly identify with the most in this movie would be Fred or the grandpa, right? Because you're, you know, when I was watching it, I was Fred Savage's age, roughly, right? So I really identified with yeah. his character. And I could see, you know, maybe parents watching this with kids and identifying with the, gra- with the grandfather, right? So mm-hmm. those are kind of the characters who bring you, um, like bring you back to the idea that this is a book, which yeah. you, like you mentioned as like a device is, is a really good idea to, to do it that way. I also really like um, how at this point, the grandpa puts down, like he puts down the book to talk to Fred and then he picks the book back up and starts reading, but he picks up at a, a spot that he's already read. And Fred's yeah. like, no, no, you already read this grandpa. So they actually fast forward us through scenes. We've already watched as he's speeding through the book. And like, I just really love that idea as a movie technique. Like, I don't know if I've really yeah. seen something like that before, but again, like this, this, the way that they're doing this, it's a really, really smart idea and it really, really works for this story. Yeah, it is really smart. They, they actually take so many moments to remind us that it is a book that is being read to someone, which I think is cool. Other yeah. movies just will get right into the book and try to distract you that it's just a book read to someone. Um, but this is a perfect example of 
you can hear the grandpa's voice while the other mouths are moving, right? Where he's reading the part that he's already read before. And that's where you're like, okay, yeah. something's weird here. I'm not hearing it in their voice. And that's where we, you know, fast forward and get to the right spot in the movie. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, they rescue Buttercup out of the water. And the three men and Buttercup get to the Cliffs of Insanity and start climbing straight up a rope. It is a great name. Lots of great names in this movie. Yeah. Now, Fezzik is the one carrying all of them. It's awesome. <laughs> he's just using it's his amazing. arms and he's got three people plus his own weight. His own and he's weight. just climbing straight up this. He's, he's yeah. moving like he's uh, there's an elevator below him pushing him up. It's just amazing. He's moving so quickly um, up that rope. It looks so good. <laughs> and they're giving him a hard time too, just like, <laughs> well, yeah, I thought you were strong. Because <laughs> the person following them has also grabbed the rope and is climbing up that rope too. And Fezzik's like, I'm carrying three people. He only yeah. has himself. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that uh, the, the man from the boat has gained ground. He's hot on their tail. Um, the, the three in Buttercup, though, they make it to the top of the Cliffs of Insanity first. And they cut the rope they've been climbing, but the man in black does not fall. He's able to oh, he grab catches. onto the Cliffs of Insanity. Yeah. He continues to climb up the cliffs. So they uh, they leave Anigo behind to kill him when he arrives at the top. Another great scene. I mean, we're going to be saying this a lot. This is another classic scene where you have Anigo. Yep. He's anxious at the top. He just wants to kill this guy and keep going. And he starts talking to the man in black and like just chatting with him, you know? Yeah. Um, it's just such a fun part. He, um, he, he's like up at the top, like practicing his, like his moves, his sword moves and stuff like <laughs> yeah, that, getting ready yeah. to kill this guy. And then he's like, leans over and he's like, is there any chance you could, uh, get up here a little bit faster? Could you speed and guy, things up. <laughs> yeah. The guy's like, well, if you toss me down a rope and he's like, uh, you know, no, I uh, don't th- don't know if I could do that, but uh, but he ends up he does end up lowering him a rope to help him up. Yeah, I mean, he wants to toss him the rope, but uh, he's not sure the man in black down there is going to take it because he lets him know that he's like, I'm not sure you're going to take the rope because I'm only waiting around to kill you. Right, right. <laughs> and the but, man in black's like, Yeah, you know what? Maybe I won't take that rope. Yeah, but an Anigo, yeah, then Anigo promises him that he will let him he get swear, up. Yeah, he swears he on, let his, him, on his father's life. Yeah, That's right. He'll let him get up safely before he kills him at the top. Yeah, and it's just, you're right. Right away, we're going through, like, comedy. We're having, like, serious scenes where he goes, you know, he goes into, like, I swear on my father's life that you will make it. And you have, like, already building these two characters right away just from, like, a faraway interaction. And then we're going to be up close and the character building is just going to continue. And mm-hmm. actually, I, I just wanted to mention, I think it's fantastic right before when he goes up to Vicini and he's just like, I think I'm going to fight him left-handed. <laughs> yeah. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Why? And he's like, if I use my right, it's over too quickly. <laughs> like, I, It's not going to be good enough for me. And I just like right away, you're like, okay, this guy's incredible. He's going to be an incredible swordsman. And uh, he wants to give himself a challenge. He doesn't just want to end it. Mm-hmm. But Vicini's in a, in a hurry. Uh, I know, that's which, why it's which so is funny. Like, <laughs> which is putting pressure on Inigo here, which is the reason he ends up lowering the rope because the guy's not climbing fast enough. So he's like, I need you to get up here faster because I need to kill you faster because I need to get out of here. I've got places to go. We've got places to go. But even with that all in mind, when the man in black gets to the top with the rope, he gives him a chance to catch his breath. His, yep. He's like, he's so honorable that he's just like, okay, well, I don't want to kill you. 
if you're winded, I want you to have a fair chance. And even though I'm going to kill you once you're, you have your full breath, like I want you to be at your best before I kill you. It's just, it's like, it's very honorable. Um, it's just such a, such a great scene. Yeah. And he sits down and gives him his huge backstory and his like emotional backstory. So now we actually get some more about an ego and we get his like emotional backstory. And we thought we were just about to have a huge accent action scene. And what we've had so far now is just like a bunch of comedy lines, dialogue back and forth, and then a huge emotional moment. <laughs> and we're just being like, they're throwing every everything at us in this scene before we get to that action. And it's what it's kind of what creates the fantasy in my mind and like the, the swashbuckling uh, feel to it. It's like, okay, it is action, but like, this is going to be a fun action scene we're going to watch. Like, I don't have to take it super seriously. It's going to be very enjoyable. Right. Yeah. It does feel larger than life. Uh, yeah. And they're just doing such a great job at uh, character development here and just building these characters. You love them both. Like, you love them both here. You know, which, which just makes, it makes the, uh, like this, this fight scene so much more powerful because yes, you can't not like both of these characters at this point, right? Like you, you could have That's a very either one of these characters winning this battle and you're going to feel okay about it because you like them both. Yeah. We have a mercenary fighting a pirate and we love them both. We right. don't know yeah. who we want to win, right? Like we, we don't know just, much about the pirate, but he's, he's, no. he's super cool. He's just like the, yeah. He, seems like unstoppable and then an ego we've yeah. already seen he's this genuine like heartfelt guy um with a lot of confidence um who gets yeah. like bossed around by a, a guy shorter than him a, a lot you know totally and we know that he's like dedicated his life to to avenge being, his father to avenge his father and like learning the sword yeah and so we already know he wants to fight this guy left-handed and we already know that he's dedicated his life to learning how to sword fight so right now our bar is so high for him like he is going to be so incredible and it's like kind of one of those things that we've mentioned in movies before where you raise up one opponent so that it makes the other opponent instantly if they can if they can fight with that person we now know that that other opponent is also so so advanced and we don't uh, really need totally. any background of that we just know right away i love that yeah i love when they do that yeah so i'll get into it a little bit here um, these guys, um, they like trained fencing for a couple months, two or three months, um, to practice for these roles. They like, oftentimes when they were off camera, they were just practicing on set and the, the, I don't know if it was the director, they were, they were trained. I was going to say the director, um, asked them to, to do something, but it wasn't the director, but whoever it was asked them mm -hmm. to try to learn the other person's moves as to be oh, able cool. to anticipate what the other person was going to do to make the fight scene look more real. But the person who trained them was trained by, I think it was like the last known swordsman who was actually involved in real, like real life sword duels, like real life fencing to okay. the death. Okay. Yeah. Kills. He trained the guy who trained these guys, these actors, how to fence. Awesome. So, it was it was pretty cool that they would go to like yeah. all that effort and it really shows like they look incredible when they're fighting it looks oh yeah so good I, but we I heard they were oh sorry I was just gonna say I heard they were so into like the practicing and like getting their moves down that the scene wasn't actually this long at first and they they came onto set like and did their first thing like whatever the first um, writing of the scene was and they just like nailed it and Rob Reiner was just like that's it like. 
Let's do some more. That was incredible. That was fast. You did it right away. You did it perfectly right away. Let's add some more to that. If you can learn it that quickly, I thought we were going to have to go through more of this. Yeah, let's go. And then they made this, they made this epic. This scene is incredible. Like one of my favorite fight scenes ever. It is. It's an epic sword fight. Um, Like you've got both of them starting left-handed, which is not their strong hand. And then switching to right. Um, In this conversation that they have during the sword fight, they are actually referencing real fencing terms that were named after people in the 14th and 15th century who actually utilized those techniques. So as they change their technique and as the terrain is changing, they're talking about how they're changing their attack style to counter the terrain or what the other person's doing. So that is that is so cool. And I didn't really know like what these things they were saying before. Um, I didn't know if yeah. it was like legit or not, or if they're just talking, you know, made up lines, but right. they refer to Benetti's defense, which refers to refraining from attack on uneven terrain. They cool. say capo ferro, which refers to a linear attack best used on uneven terrain. They reference Tybalt, which refers to an angular attack and angular defense. And they mention Agrippa, which refers to natural uh, short sword movements, which cancel out angular attacks and defenses. So Amazing. It's like they, they know all these different skills. And as they're doing them, they're just like, well, that was a great move, but I know this move to counter that move. And the other guys are, well, I know this move to counter your move. And it's like, I'm, I'm not left-handed. I'm not left-handed. It's like, it's, it's such a great scene. It's incredible. There's so many... Yeah, there's so many aspects to it that build it and build it and build it to make it epic. Like when they start out, they just do a couple hits and like a swipe, you know, they're kind of not nervous, their hands are down, couple hits and a swipe, like they're feeling each other out. Then they do some actual sword fighting. Then they start doing this banter where yeah. they're like comfortable enough to talk and, and call like they're nerds about it. They're nerds about the sword fighting. They're calling out all the moves. They're calling out the moves he's doing, calling out the moves you're doing. So fun. And then you have the different um for each each different fighter you have their sort of switch where the the match which is even actually switches in their favor when they switch their hand so you have the epic you know climactic moment when an ego switches to his right and now he has the upper hand and then the man in black switches to his right and now you have this fight with both of them right-handed and they're doing things we haven't seen yet like super fun that's when like the fight gets really fun and they're jumping all over rocks and doing all these flourishes and it just ends up being so exciting in the end because it has all these different actual moments of the fight that just keep increasing it for us and and increasing the excitement they did their own stunts in that scene. Um, everything except for the man in black does like some acrobatic flip. And that was a, a, flip, a, yeah. a stunt double, but they did everything else. So very, very awesome. cool stuff. Very, very cool scene. I Great. love it. The man in black, though, he bests an ego and continues yeah. on to the next in line, which is Fezzik, the giant. I will just say how much of a fan of Andre the giant I am. I just, I love that yep. man. I love the stories yep. of him. Um, I just think he's just like such a cool person. Um, obviously had a real tough life for like his size and, uh, like what that was doing to his body, like destroying his body, but he just continued to do what he loved. And, um, he, he had some like real nice comments about how much he enjoyed doing this movie 
because everybody on set just treated him like another actor. Like nobody treated yeah. him like the giant. They just treated him like another another actor. And I I, I read this really like sweet story where Robin Wright was uh, uh, freezing. She was like really cold in one of the scenes, and he just put both her both his hands around her head, which would basically oh, encompass awesome. her whole head, and just like warmed her up by like you know um, having his hands on her head. So. It just sounded That's really so like sounded yeah. like a really like nice set for him. I just I, yeah. I love that guy. Uh, he also has some epic drinking stories, which are really fun. Yes, I've heard some of those. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he Fezzik has his chance now here, and he has a chance to kill the man in black, but he doesn't yes. take it. He lets the man in black live, so they can have a sportsmanlike fight. So again, yes. you've got like these guys are like very honorable. Totally, and like I I love his his rock throw that crashes right beside wesley and he says i did that on purpose i don't have to miss yeah. it's just again it's just like it I, I feel like that's just perfect dialogue in that moment and then he can now negotiate with with um wesley to both put down their weapons and try to do this hand-to-hand combat oh man you just spoiled that the man in black was wesley Oh come on, Tim! Everybody Spoiler knows. Alert. Oh, Everybody knows the man in black. I is was Wesley. doing such come. a good job just calling him the uh. man in black. Anyways, I'm just giving. I'm just kidding. I'm giving you a hard time. Um, listen, I love. <laughs> I love how he throws it. He's like. He's like. Yeah, yeah I didn't. I didn't have to miss. And uh, Wesley's just miss. like. I believe you. I believe you. I believe you. Great, great line delivery. I believe you. It was really quick too. It was like it was. It was very funny. Um, now the man in black ends up getting on Fezzik's back during this like hand-to-hand combat fight and ends up choking him out and bests the giant. Now I was hoping for a bit more out of this fight. I thought they could have gone a bit further, done a little bit more. It's, it's fine though. Like it's, 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 it is what it is. I really did like though, that they threw in uh, a line from Fezzik where he says, he's not used to fighting just one man. He's used to fighting right. groups of men and your tactics yeah. are different when you fight a group of men versus one man. So in yeah. that regard, I understand how uh, Wesley, uh, oh, <laughs> the man in so sorry about it. <laughs> Nobody knew. Nobody knew that Wesley was the man in black. Oh man. shit. <laughs> sorry, everyone. Spoilers. <laughs> Send your comments to Dean, to Dean's uh, yeah. accounts, not mine. You you can at me. <laughs> now, at Dean with your uh, spoiler hate. Yeah, I just I think I would have just liked to have seen a little bit more out of that. But I also know, I know um, Andre had just had uh, back surgery and he wasn't able to do a lot. Um, right. The scene uh, like where uh, Wesley's on his back, Wesley was like walking along a ramp as he was just like had his arms around the giant. Okay. And then at the, the scene at the end, when uh, the giant catches buttercup, uh, she was like suspended on wires. He wasn't actually even holding her. So okay. I get that he okay, really yeah. like at that time, he really couldn't do much physical. So maybe yeah. they cut it a bit short just for that reason. So I understand totally fine. Um, I think I've, I've just always thought even before I knew that, uh, that information, I just always thought, I wish that one went a little bit longer. Just have a little yeah. bit more fun with that. Well, that's the feeling you get. You just had the most epic sword battle, like probably the longest one you've ever seen in a movie before. And then you get this great, like funny dialogue again coming from Fezzik right when that fight starts. So you're like, okay, here we go again. Like, let's do this super epic fight and we'll see how he pulls it out. So I'm the same. I always feel like that one's over too quickly. Um, But also, what else can you do? Like, I get it. I get that you like jump and you would choke him out and maybe that's the best chance you had. Um, So... 
I, I'm with you, but also uh, understand. I think you could do a little bit more cat and mouse stuff. A little, yeah, a little, yeah, totally. You could do a little more cat and mouse. Yeah. So Prince Humperdinck is on the trail and out to get Buttercup back. Because he, he needs to murder her. He needs, he needs to, to kill he needs her. To do some murdering. <laughs> he has some plans <laughs> and not having her around gets in the way of the plans because he needs to kill her. Yeah, so he's at the Cliffs of Insanity uh, with his team, and he deduces exactly what happened there. He's like following the footsteps of the sword fight, and he's like explaining yes. what happened. Very cool. Uh, I like yes. Humperdinck. I like his character. Take the murdering of everybody out, and this is a great leader. <laughs> right? Am I right? I was going to say it's a charismatic performance, but sure, he's a great leader. <laughs> okay, charismatic performance, great leader, <laughs> minus the murder, whatever. Um, the performance is fantastic, like unbelievable for this character. I, I agree. Prince Humperdinck is like one of the best characters in the movie. Um, he's just such a sleazeball and he just plays it so, so well. Because you hate him. I love when, when you hate him people so much, play yeah. characters so great that you hate them. Yeah, you know? for sure. So the man in black catches up to Vicini and Buttercup. And the man in black plays to Vicini's ego and challenges him to a battle of wits. Yes. Another classic scene here. These classic, so classic. scenes are this just is, like one yeah. after another, after another, after another. Yeah. So in this scene, the man in black poisons both cups because he's grown an immunity to the poison he puts in them. So it doesn't matter which cup Vicini drinks out right. of. Yeah. Um, Amazing. But he I remember, as he's going to cheat code, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I remember being so fascinated by this part yeah. of the movie. Like, I remember watching this and just being like, how's he going to outsmart this guy? Totally. How's this going to work? Don't yeah. understand it. And then when Vicini, like, he, he basically, Vicini lays it out. He's like, here's the reason I would drink out of mine. Here's the reason I would drink out of yours. Here's the reason I would not drink out of yours. Here's the reason yeah. I would not drink out of mine. It's like, and you're just kind of it's like, what's, so he, what's he going to do? And then he, yes. <laughs> he switches the cups, makes a distraction, <laughs> switches the cups and tells them to each drink out of their own so yeah. that when they drink, and he actually lets um, Wesley drink first so he makes sure to let wesley drink first because he believes the poison was in his cup but he switched yeah. it he vicini believes it was in in his cup he switches it so wesley starts to drink it and as soon as wesley starts to drink it vicini feels he comfortable yeah. that he got it right and wesley's gonna die now so vicini drinks out of his which yeah. is probably the only way to beat this guy yeah. It would have been like a battle of wits of like, who's going to take a sip first? And there would have been a lot of bluffing. Like, okay, go ahead. Oh, oh, I'm not doing it until you do. Well, yeah. we got to do it at the same time. Well, you go first. Well, how do we do that? So yeah, Wesley drinks. He doesn't care. He's got the, you know, he's got the, the he's got an immunity to it. So yeah. And that's what I really liked about the dialogue in the scene. The dialogue is so, so incredible. Like Vicini just going through his big, like, clearly can't be in the wine in front of you. Clearly can't be the wine in front of me. It's the whole scene is him trying to get a read 
off of Wesley. Like he's trying, like Wesley says at one point, he's like, you're trying to let me give something up, but I'm not going to do it. Yeah, you're trying to trick him because he keeps going back and forth. He's like, I could clearly not choose Zach and clearly not choose mine. And he's like, okay, then what do you do? And he's like, I'm not ready yet. I still have to do more talking. (laughs) And he just keeps going back and forth, keeps going back and forth until you get to a point where he thinks he finally did the trick. And then he can, he can try to catch that uh, he can try. He can try to get a read off of him when, while he's drinking because he he sees that he can't get a read off of him talking. So he's going to have to switch the cups and try to get a read off him drinking. It's great. It's great. I like it. Yeah, it, it's so perfect. Laughing at his own deception, Vicini falls dead. That's the way to go. I think. I think if you can choose a way to go, that's the way to go. Yeah, just laughing. He was laughing. Just bursting so out happy. laughing and dropping dead. He felt like he was the smartest guy. So yeah. he went out well. If I go, I want to go Iocane powder and then someone tell me a joke. <laughs> yeah. Now Humperdinck catches up with the man in black and Buttercup. And she thinks uh, the man in black is the dread pirate Roberts, the pirate mm. who killed Wesley. Well, shit. So she pushes him down a hill and tells him to die. When we hear, as you wish, as he falls. Now, that was apart from earlier, and that's a way that she would recognize Wesley. And knowing that, she throws herself down the hill after him. Now, dude. Yeah. Did you see the tumble these stunt doubles took? I know. This was legitimately like the worst angle of hill you could ever hope to fall down. It was so sharp. And they just like threw themselves down it. They were... That was all real. They were taking huge tumbles. I, know. I was trying to figure it out. So I was like, okay, so this 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 angle has to be adjusted because this hill can't be at this angle. Like it's impossible that they're taking these tumbles. But then when they hit the bottom of the hill, they slide a ton. And you can only gain that type of slide off the type of angle that it actually was. Do you see when they actually hit the bottom? Like they just slid forever. That must have actually been at that angle. Like maybe they adjusted it a little bit, but those tumbles. I don't think there's any angle adjustment. Like I think that was like. tumbles were incredible. One of the sharpest like hills in, in, uh, in England. And they just went down it. They're like, roll down this hill. Okay. As you wish. Those tumbles. (laughs) Those tumbles. Uh, right before, right before that, right before she shoves him down, I think for me is Robin Wright's best line when she says, "I died that day." You can die too for all I care. Oh, I good. love that part. I really, really like her and her delivery in that part, and she gives him such a good shove down the hill. If that really was like the Dread Pirate Roberts, I'd just feel so good for her. <laughs> like, I'd be like, "Yes, well done." Um, but <laughs> it ended up being Wesley, and she's got to jump down the hill, but. So um, they're both at the bottom of the hill and they're finally together again. Such a, such a sweet moment. Unfortunately, yeah, time to make out. Ooh, unfortunately, though, Dean, they uh, need to go through the dreaded fire swamp to escape. Uh, yes. No one's ever survived the fire swamp. You can't. You couldn't possibly. No. Because the fire swamp has people dressed up in giant rat costumes running around. Oh, yeah, man. But they are good. These people moved so much better than the polar bear in Santa yes, Claus Tim. Conquers the Martians. Like it's a hundred percent what I was thinking when I saw it. If only the polar it's bear could have so moved like different. this. 
It's so realistic. It's so different. Yeah, that is a person in a smaller costume running that actually looks like an animal running on the ground, not looks like a man walking on all fours. Yeah. It was so much better. It looks so good. They actually, you, like, it's it's clearly a person in a costume, but it's also exactly looking like a rodent moving on the ground. Yeah, apparently that guy, like, who was, like, in the suit... Uh, yeah. got to set late that day because he got a DUI the night before and oh, the, no. the police didn't believe him that he said he couldn't get a DUI because he needed to get back to set where he was a person inside of a rat costume <laughs> yeah. and he needed to be it's there. Like- so they, uh, <laughs> they threw him in the drunk tank overnight and he, um, he got there late the next day. Wow. Wow. Well, he did a, uh, he did a good job crawling on the ground. Yes. Yeah. He's probably very hungover in that suit yes. at the time. Yes. And I don't know how the uh, tongue action was for uh, w- worked on that thing, but uh, that tongue was gross. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those rats, I just remember like, the rat just being like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, get that out of my face. <laughs> These rats scared me. These rats scared me as a kid. Me too. I did not like them. Yeah. They didn't really scare me, but it was like, it was weird. I did not like, I never liked this part. This wasn't a part yeah. I liked. It was a part. No. The- I, I guess I really felt like dread for them in this fire swamp. Like I wanted them to get out of it. For sure. I felt like bad in there. Yeah. The quicksand scared me too. Um, just like she, she fell down it so quickly. And then when they came up, they were just like, couldn't breathe and covered in white sand. And it was just... My little kid brain didn't quite understand what might have happened down there. So it was very, very scary. Well, I'll tell you what happened for me, Dean, is that little Tim had to do the breath test on this one. I had to oh, hold yeah. my breath. They went under the quicksand. So what yeah, what, what little fair. Tim always had to do was when somebody was stuck underwater or stuck in quicksand like this, I had to hold my breath like they did to see if it would yeah. be possible for me to survive. I don't did know you why. survive? I don't know why I used to do this. I did it for Big Trouble in Little China in the elevator scene. I held my breath. Yeah. I never yeah. made that as a kid. I could never do it. Uh, this one was always very hard for me to do. Uh, I think maybe once or twice I made it. I couldn't do it. I did it now. And I'm like, oh, that was easy. Like my lungs, I guess. Yeah, wasn't like, it like 20 seconds or something? <laughs> my lungs are like three times the size as they, they were as <laughs> right. like a, a kid. But it's very easy now. But when I was a kid, it was hard. Yeah. But I would do it. I always needed to know. And then I'd always die. And I'm like, these people are so much better than me. I can't. I'd never yeah. make it through this. You would never, never make it through never the fire make, swamp. I'd never survive the fire swamp. It's awful. You're one of the people that would die in there. Yeah, it's so sad. That'd be sad, hey, if I died in this fire to, swamp. If you died in the that'd fire be a swamp, real, yeah, that would that'd be That'd be a real twist for the movie. Yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> they just died in the fire swamp. No, if I, I died, be a twist for if I died. Yeah, in the fire you, swamp. if you died, if you just showed up and died. Yeah, I was gonna say I'd have to do. Uh, I'd have to do a podcast episode alone and just explain that you died in the fire swamp. It would be very sad. Yeah. So Wesley explains that the Dread Pirate Roberts actually inherited the ship from another Dread Pirate Roberts, and that Wesley eventually inherited it from him. The thing is, they all become rich, and they just want to retire. Yeah. Right? So you become the pirate, you get rich, then you need to make somebody else the pirate. So that's what happened with him. He's got his fortune, so I I feel like they could maybe get married now. He's back with his fortune. Just go back to the farm. Yeah. They make it out of the fire swamp, but into the waiting hands of P. Humperdinck. Ah, P. Hump. (laughs) Buttercup tries to strike a deal to save Wesley's life here. And Humperdinck agrees. 
It's dumb. But he has no plan to follow through with that promise because he's a D-bag. And Wesley <laughs> is <laughs> Wesley is taken to another incredible name of a place, the Pit of Despair. Amazing. I love it. I love it. Great. Uh, so great. Um, Wesley in the Pit of Despair gets tortured by the machine. And at its lowest setting, as he's getting tortured, seems incredibly painful. And his life is actually being sucked out of his body. So at the the, the very first time, they suck out one year of his life, Dean. Yeah, I love this weird fantasy torture device. Yeah, it's cool. It's like water. and It's made out of wood and just water like propels it and suction cups suck your life out of you. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Love it. I would not want to be hooked up to that. Uh, The six-fingered man, though, I think it was his Uh, invention. And he says one day, Dean, one day, he might go as high as level five. But he just doesn't know what that would do to him. So so who knows? We'll see. But the machine goes up to 50. Also, Tim, six-fingered man, played by Christopher Guest. Great. Also great in the movie. Everybody is great, Dean, in the movie. Yeah. I'd like, if I haven't established that yet, I'd like to do it again. Everybody is great. Everybody is great. Everybody. Even the dude in the rat suit. I mean, the dude in the rat suit is fantastic. Sounds like he had a rough night before. He did. But he did. on set, Probably he was a, great. A rough working day, but. Rough working day, maybe. He did yeah. it. He, he put, you know what? He He's a true, a true thespian who's able to just, regardless of the situation, he puts out the best performance he can and nails it. Yeah. Yeah, he got true lit on fire in that rat suit. Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah, that's true. So we catch up with Inigo now. He's drunk. Dean, he's drunk. He's waiting for Vicini to show up. Now, I have to say, I always feel legitimately sad in this scene every time I watch it. I feel for Inigo here because he's like he's lost his crew, right? Like his team yeah. is gone. He's um he's headed back to like their safe place. It's like if if things go wrong or or no, they had a plan to like meet somewhere, and yeah. he's there and Vicini's not showing up and Fezzik's not showing up, and it's like this guy's like world has been like, like torn out from under him. Right? He thought he was the best swordsman. He's been bested by the man in black, yeah. and his friends yeah. are gone. I just I always feel sad for him here. Always, it's it's very yeah, it's very sad. I like what he says. It took me a while um actually to really understand what he says but it, it, it's exactly what you're saying that he need Vicini said if the job goes wrong go back to the beginning so he's waiting at the beginning and he will not he's saying i will not be moved because they're at that point they're clearing out the forest of all the thieves and he's like i will not be moved he said go back to the beginning and I'm waiting for him, which is, it's so sad because we saw how horrible Vicini was to him, but yeah. that's what he has right now. He has his crew. And so he's waiting for them to come back. It is very, you're right. It is a very sad moment. Yeah. But Fezzik does find him and nurses him back to health and tells him of the existence of the six fingered man. Now this man is someone Inigo wants revenge on because this is the man who killed his father. Yeah. They can't do it alone. They need help storming the castle to get to the six-fingered man. They need the man in black. Yeah, because they know there's so many guards guarding the castle. And Inigo is actually super smart because he knows 
like he knows that he needs someone to plan that for him. He's not just going to go in like, oh, I'm going in on revenge. I, me and my like sword and Fezzik and his fists, we're just going to go and we're going to get it done. He's smart enough to know that he can't come up with the right plan. But there is someone out there who could. Yeah, because he, the man in black bested their whole team, all three of them. Yeah. Uh, and they all, that so he whole must team, be smarter than Vecini. That whole team has different attributes, each one of them. And the man in black bested each of those those attributes so he has all those yeah. attributes inside of him but better than they even had yeah. so yeah uh, yeah it's really they're really pumping up the man in black here and making him look like super super powerful totally and i'm really excited that they're gonna go find him i'm just like that's a great idea i want that to happen of course i want that crew together of course but before all that happens buttercup tells humperdink that she uh, thinks he's a real turd and embarrasses him in front of his friends because he is a real turd, Tim. Mm-hmm. He's a real D-bag, as you said. Yeah. Humperdinck takes that very, like, he, well, he he takes it very personally because I feel like he's very embarrassed about that. He heads yeah. right over to Wesley in the Pit of Despair and cranks the machine all the way up to 50. And Not 50! That is an intense scene. It's intense because obviously they foreshadowed it with you couldn't possibly go past five and one was bad enough, but 50. And the man doing the torturing yelling, not 50. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh shit, he does not like that. And he is the person who's administering the torture. Yeah. The man in black, his screams can be heard throughout the kingdom. And Inigo hears it and starts heading towards it. He basically says that is like the the scream of a of a man. What do you say? Like a man in, not just a man in pain, but it was like he. I think he referred to something like lost that. everything. Yeah, something like that. It was he yeah. identified that scream with something that he had already felt when his father was yes. killed. So um, he identified with the with the pain in that scream, which uh, yeah. which I loved. Now it's great. Yeah. Um, Anigo, um, he just, he heads towards it, but doesn't know where to look, right? He's in the forest and he asks the soul of his father to guide his sword to help him find the man in black. And, oh no, I know what it was now. I remembered it was because the man in black's true love was going to be married to another man. And Anigo said, yes, that was, that could only be the scream of a man in love with his true love marrying somebody else. Right. That's what he thought right. that that cry out was. Yeah. So, but he did relate it to him losing his father. He, he did, did also. He, he, that, he did also that do sort that. of pain. He Yeah, that pain was similar. Yeah, that's true. So um, Anigo, he pulls his sword out, lets his father's soul guide the sword, and it gets guided right into a tree. And he looks all defeated, like nothing has happened. Uh, it didn't work. But a secret door in the tree opens up and we find Wesley and he's dead. And uh, we, we pop out of the story here because Fred Savage is very distraught at this point. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. uh, he's really into the story and he wants to know the rest of it right now. He wants to know everything that happens right now. Just tell me. I, I don't want to read anymore. Just tell me everything. That, spoil it. He wants spoilers. Yeah. And he's like, he's like. 
Grandpa, what did you read me this for? (laughs) He's so (laughs) distraught at this moment because he's just like, nothing's going to work out. Who gets Humperdinck? Who kills Humperdinck? Yeah. Grandpa's like, Humperdinck lives. I don't know what to tell you. And he's like, what the hell? What are you reading me this shit for? Yeah. It's great. He's so upset. And it's just like, it reminds me of being a kid and just being so into something and having it go the wrong way. And you're just like, what the hell is this? What's going on? Yeah, exactly. So they take the body of the man in black and they head to Miracle Max because they need a miracle. Hmm. It's your boy. Yeah. As I mentioned, I'm not a big fan of Billy Crystal here. Uh, Apparently, there were several people on set, including Rob Reiner, who couldn't actually be on the set for the recording of the Miracle Max stuff because they couldn't stop laughing at how funny Billy Crystal was. They actually were not even there. So, I love it. <laughs> uh, I I get it. I that's fine. I always thought Carol Kane um, did a better job oh, uh, she's as fantastic. his wife yeah. in this scene. I yeah. always liked her better than him. But uh, whatever. I'm not going to get into that. Now, luckily though, Dean, the Man in Black isn't dead. He's just mostly dead. Right. <laughs> There's what a big difference, Tim. Yeah. There is a big between difference. mostly dead and all dead. <laughs> Excellent twist. Mostly dead, you're slightly alive. Yeah, that's right. I love it. It's so funny. It's so funny. It is. It is really funny. Now, Miracle Max wants to see Humperdinck suffer. He hates Humperdinck. So at uh, at hearing that they need the man in black to help like embarrass Humperdinck further. Exactly. Yeah. He's he's on ruin board. his wedding. Yeah, ruin yeah. his wedding. He's he's on board. He's gonna help out. So he gives the man in black a pill to revive him. And I just think it's really fun here watching the man in black team up with Inigo and Fezzik, uh, which I like, I love it when it happens. It doesn't happen very often, but where you get a kind of like a hero who fights villains early in the movie, and then they team Mm. up for a greater cause later in the movie. Whenever something like that happens, I'm so on board with that. It's so much fun. I just, I I love it. It's so exciting. Yeah. It's so exciting because it also lays out that it's like they were in conflict before because they had different interests, so they had to fight. But now they have the same interests, so they can get together. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's so fun. And I also really like this, um, like, well, c- continue. I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, of okay. Myself. So the man in black. That was close, Tim. That Ooh, was close. You caught yourself. Nice I one. almost just totally blew it. It was another Wesley Whoa. moment about to happen. Oh, Holy my goodness. Sh- I- yeah, I caught wow. it. Wow, good job. Oh, good job, oh. Dean. Thank you, thank you. So the Man in Black, Fezzik, and Inigo scare off all the guards of the castle by putting Fezzik in a cloak and lighting him on fire? Yes, okay, Tim. Yes, I thought the same thing. Let's I was burn like, what Fezzik. The They'll know we're serious when we sacrifice our giant yeah. by lighting <laughs> yes, him no, on I- fire and I pushing him towards it. you. Tim, I looked into it. The cloak that Wesley really, really needed is a fire cloak. Like, it's a cloak that you're supposed to be able to oh, light on fire okay. and protect you from the fire. Like, it, it's supposed to be that. I looked it up. It was, it was a Holocaust oh. cloak. This was oh. it with a lowercase h. Um, this is okay. a different kind. But I know, because I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, you just lit the guy on fire. This is your plan? Light him on fire? This can't be right. Okay, thank you for but that. Because that's always cloak. bothered me. Yeah. 
And it's the special cloak. Watching it again, it still bothered me. I'm like, I don't get it. (laughs) He looks like he's being engulfed in flames and then he's okay. Um, Yeah. So, okay, that makes a lot of sense because he did request a specific uh, cloak that um, Fezzik actually just happened to have on him. Yeah. And I, and I am going to say, because uh, my point it was fine, I wasn't going to jump the gun. I really like that uh, Wesley is like paralyzed, basically, except yes. for his head, because he we already know that he's a better fighter than both of them in both of their um, fields. But all they needed him for was the brains. They needed right. him to plan it. Yeah. So I like that they bring him along and all he can do is plan it because he can't really move. So good. Smart. Yeah, and just smart. So they make their way into the castle, and Inigo finally meets up with the Six-Fingered Man, and the Six-Fingered Man is a coward. He's a coward. He runs it's away, It's that Dean. speech. It's that speech. He was ready to fight. Then when Inigo gave that speech, he was like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. This guy is going to destroy me. <laughs> uh, he hightailed it out of there. Now, Inigo yeah. chases down the Six-Fingered Man. And uses the power of love to kill him. <laughs> does he use the power of love? Yep. He uses the power of love. I guess he for does. This, Tim, I need to talk about this fight a bit. Okay, go ahead. It's just it, this fight. You're, you're so you're so pumped for Nigo to finally find him. And then he runs away and he's chasing him. And he's got this like very panicky scene where he's trying to break down a door. He needs Fezzik to do it. And then he finally runs into the room where where this guy is. And this guy throws a knife into his stomach. Yeah. Like it hits me every time where I'm just like, oh, come on. Are you kidding me? That's not fair. That's not a fair fight. But he pulls himself up out of that. And the sword hits that he is like like when when. um. Christopher Guest character is coming at him and like attacking him and he's just kind of parrying them. The hits ding at the same time as like the music goes. And so every time they hit a beat in the music, he like dings it with his with his sword and it just it creates such a a powerful atmosphere and he keeps getting more and more energized as the fight goes on even though he's more and more hurt. He gets saying his line like a little bit more, a little bit more intense and walking forward. All he's doing is walking forward. Christopher Guest is backpedaling and swinging. And it's just, oh, Meg, I, 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 the, the way that the anticipation is built in that scene through all those aspects, by the time he kills him, I'm done. End the movie. It's good. I'm, I'm fine. It's over. He did it. I don't even care. <laughs> like, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Hulkamania ran wild on an ego. <laughs> yes yes he just couldn't be held down the more damage he took the more the more power he got from it great it was good i um i, I like that we've already seen an ego be defeated in this movie so it's believable yeah. at this point that this guy defeats him again uh and it looks like it's going to happen so when it yeah. doesn't when he's able to fight his way back it's such a powerful moment because this is his first win in this movie right and it's the biggest win that he's been looking for ever since his father was killed like this is what he's yeah. been going for the whole time. So uh, to see him get it, it's so powerful. Yeah, it's it's a great one. Now, Buttercup is about to kill herself because she will not be wed to Humperdinck, and she goes to her room to do it. And Wesley is waiting in her room to stop her. And Humperdinck comes to the room. Wesley's lying in the bed. He's still paralyzed. He can't do anything. But he talks Humperdinck down. Yeah. Intimidation. Intimidation. Humperdinck doesn't want to fight to the pain. No, he Wesley doesn't. Wesley wants He's to not fight interested to the pain. Into the pain. 
Yeah, Wesley wants to fight to the pain. Humperdinck is not interested. Not interested at all. <laughs> so he gives up. He just gives up. <laughs> Which is, uh, it was a great scene. But Wesley did end up standing up there. He was able to pull himself yeah. up, stand up. So who knows? He probably could have killed Humperdinck. No problem. We don't know. We'll never know. Oh, I don't think so, Tim. We'll never know. Oh, come on. But Wesley? An, an, ego Wesley co- an ego comes in the room and then Wesley like stumbles. He like can't even take another step. Wesley just needs a little bit of a, use a little bit of a grippa in the situation and ah, interesting. defeat Humperdinck. Yes. That's all he needs. What about De- Benetti's defense? Uh, I don't think so. Oh no, because he's doing, he would be doing offense. Well, yeah, I don't know. I also don't remember what they were. <laughs> so I, can't, I can't say for sure. The room is flat though. There's no terrain in the room. So a couple true. of them don't so, matter. Yeah, true. I think all. Of I them guess unless you jump, matter. start jumping on the bed. Oh, hey now. Interesting. Wait a second. Interesting. <laughs> maybe, maybe they all, maybe they all come into play. What if he just got up and started jumping on the bed, and he was like, "Ready? I'm ready to fight." <laughs> I mean, I don't. It'd think be that fun. Worked as well. What's interesting is that this movie is very silly, but that would have been too far. Yeah, that's a great point. That would be way <laughs> right? too far. Yeah, that would have been too way far. too. If you just started jumping on the bed, mm-hmm. no. <laughs> so Fezzik shows up with white horses for all of them to escape on, and Inigo is in very good spirits here for how much damage he's taken. Oh already. yeah, he's great now. He's, he's fine. Bleeding all over the place. He's been stabbed he's in the stomach good. with a knife. He's good though. He was gonna die ten minutes ago, and now he's fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Wesley asks Inigo if he's ever considered being a dread pirate, Robert, because he'd make a great one. I love great it. idea. Great. Love it's it. A great, great idea. Um, it makes us feel happy for Inigo, like that. That that's oh, gonna yeah. be his path, right? Um, he, he's yes. revenged. He or so he's he's avenged his father. Mm-hmm. He can live his own life now, and he can now go be a pirate for a bit, which he'd be great at, of course, and he's going to be rich, and then pass it on to somebody else. It's like such a happy ending for that character. That character went through yeah. like the full cycle. It's just, it's fantastic. Totally. Totally, Tim. So there's a final kiss between Wesley and Buttercup, and it gets rated better than all of the top kisses of all time, according to Grandpa. Great kiss. And it's time now for Fred Savage to go to bed. But Fred would like it if Grandpa would come over tomorrow and read the story again. And awesome. Grandpa, Grandpa says, as you wish. Ah, a little inside joke between the two. <laughs> and we're, we're in on it, though. We're in, we're in oh, it. yeah. Between the two and the viewers. We get um, uh, the cool, like, predator ending treatment here, where they show all the characters from the movie in fun moments... Uh, and show their real names and their character names. And it just makes you want to like rewind yeah. the movie, start it over, and watch it again. Because you love all of these characters. And you totally. had fun just like they are having at that moment. Yep. Just like I said in the Predator episode. It's like, oh, here are all my friends. I want to go back and see them again. They yep. were so great. I, I loved that moment. That was awesome. And that is uh, the end. Perfect, Tim. Perfect. I want to touch on what you said right at the end there when you said that that Inigo's character kind of comes full circle. I think Inigo's character is the I think he is sort of the best character in the movie. He's kind of the hero of the movie. He's the only one that really gets an arc. He gets his backstory. He's on his path and he gets his conclusion. Like like I said in that moment, I don't really care what happens after that. 
for me, it's he get it. He got there. He got his revenge. And then he sort of gets his nice um, send off where he can, you know, become the Dread Pirate Roberts. For me, he's the guy like he is the character of this movie. I love him in every moment he is on screen. Yeah, I think he's got the best arc for sure. Um, yeah. He's got the most like iconic lines. Like yeah. everybody, everyone knows the hello, my name is Nigo Montoyo. Everyone knows that entire thing. Um, I do not think it means what you think it means when he's talking to Vicini about inconceivable. That is something that I say whenever I get the opportunity. It's like, I probably say that a hundred times a month. <laughs> I just, if ever it pops up, I will say, I do not think it means what you think it means. It's, it's the weirdest way to say that and the funniest way to say that. Like he could say, you know, I don't think that word is, means, um, what you, you're using it for. I think you're using that word incorrectly. Whatever it is, he, it was written the funniest. He delivered it the funniest. He's the character that stands out in my mind when I'm done with this movie every time. I just want to see him again. I love him. Yeah, great. All right, let's get to what if. What if? Okay, Dean. What if Wesley, the man in black, isn't this great warrior but more of a middle-of-the-road warrior. What if he ends up losing most of the encounters he's in instead of winning them? And despite all his losses, he still perseveres in the name of true love and against all odds still rescues Buttercup at the end. Uh, great movie. Okay, so what if he loses the fight to Inigo? Yeah. Then he loses the fight with Fezzik. He loses the Battle of Wits with Vicini. He basically loses everything. But the true love aspect continues even stronger than what we see. And when everything yeah. is said and done, like it's the true love angle that kind of conquers all and gets him through it. So it would be a much different movie. But I wonder what that might be like. Well, here, here's, what I'm, here's what I'm thinking it right away is that then... I love him in the movie. Like it's, it's weird that the characters that you, you connect to in movies are characters that have some sort of loss in the movie or some sort of fault, you know, something that you can kind of connect to and then they can overcome it and they can persevere. So Wesley doesn't have that at all in this movie. You know, he's perfect from start to end. He never does anything wrong. Um, and so he's, like, I, I like him. I think he's very funny. But to me, his his arc isn't something I connect with. It's something that's kind of boring, his sort of character arc. I like him in scenes, but, you know, not my favorite. Whereas Inigo has this up and down throughout the entire thing. You know, we see him on such a such a confident high. Then we see him on such a low where he has to be brought back. And then we get to his revenge. If I can have that kind of up and down with Wesley, with the main character, great. Like, great movie and ego doesn't need his revenge story then but he can you know he can still be in the movie as something that stands in the way of wesley um and then i connect with wesley more so i think it's i honestly think it's a very similar movie it's just a different character that i end up loving after at the end yeah i think it's very different i think it just uh yeah his character feels different i think it it feels mm -hmm. different I don't know. It feels different, but it doesn't feel very different. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. But like, 
because the, the story could still progress the exact same way. It's just these encounters that he's having, the outcomes are different, right? So the, the the trajectory of the movie doesn't necessarily have to change. He just has to find different ways to like, uh, instead of um, um, progressing on after a win, he has to find a way to like pick up the pieces after a loss and then progress yeah. on. Um, so I actually hadn't considered uh, your point that, yeah, he becomes like that hero even more. Yeah. Uh, just like watching him overcome these obstacles. So. He gets the hero's journey where he doesn't really have it now because he's already there. He's already sort of the best of the best, like at everything he does. So we actually follow that path with him. And, you know, we get those different points of the hero's journey. Yeah. I like what they what they did with him because it's a very it's very much more of like the fantasy idea like that. that For sure. It it feels more like that. Um but if they switched it and made him more of like a sympathetic hero rather than this like uh, very powerful one, um, I was just curious what that might look like. And I don't know. It could be interesting, but. It would be a movie that I think I would still love. Yeah, I think you, you'd have to still love it. Like just with all the characters, there'd be other like funny moments. You, you might miss out on some great moments, but you'd get other great moments. Uh, yeah. You know, like you said, it might be nice to um, – really connect with uh, the Wesley character more so than we, than we do. We, we connect with him now because we just think he's really cool and he's like the toughest guy, the smartest guy. But what if he was the, you know, not that guy. Like he, all he had on his side was, was the, uh, like the pursuit of true love. He had to save his true love and beyond, you know, any, beyond anything that could happen to him he just that that's the outcome he needed to do so he'd persevere through anything if whether he lost a sword fight he'd keep going whether he got yeah. beaten by a giant he'd, he'd keep going whether whether whatever like whether the the king you know defeats him he just has to keep going he finds ways to just continue to make his way through so you'd, you'd probably end up having more comedic um uh, like instances with this character, like the way he's getting out of these things would have to be a little bit more funny and comedic than, um, you know, what, what happens in the movie where he's just winning by smarts and brawn and stuff yeah. like that. Here's, here's what I will say though. The movie, like I think the movie right now, the way it is, is so perfect. Um, and it's because I loved it as a kid, watched it a ton of times. And then, watching it you know there's a little bit of a gap when you get into your um well at least for me when i got into my adulthood i didn't watch it as much and there's you know maybe that was a movie i just liked as a kid but i revisited it uh very recently and it just holds up so well like i am 15 minutes into the movie and i'm like i think this movie is perfect this movie is so good it's such a perfect movie and i think that is because you have the wesley character that's so perfect and you have the nego character that you can connect with when you're an adult because when i was a kid wesley's the man like wesley's so good at everything and that's what you connect with when you're a kid you don't care about character arcs you just care about like this guy's the best at everything so that's who i love so as a kid, I just want to see Wesley on the screen. When I become an adult and, you know, you're more used to what it's like to, you know, mess up in situations and, you know, have highs and lows and things like that, then you kind of don't really bother with Wesley as much in his journey. But you can, I like for me, at least I connect more with an ego and I'm like this guy who has such passion for things and that sometimes, you know, gets him down, gets him up, whatever it is, that's who I connect with. So this, this movie is like, 
forever going to be great because of its like vast characters and and there's it's a it's a g or pg movie and there's something for everyone like a six-year-old can love this just as much as i do because of the difference in characters agreed all right dean thank you for joining this week thank you tim what a great movie tim tim i didn't even mention it a movie that's in my top 50 uh, do you mean your top 87? A, mo- no. a movie that's in my top 50, but it might float 37 places lower, depending on how I feel that day. Tim? Yes? Don't be rude. This one is actually inside the top 50. I have 87 okay. on the list because maybe I like to float things in and out, and I just want to make sure I don't miss anything. This right. is inside the top 50. So what you're telling me is this is ahead of Predator? It is. It is, Tim. This, this is, is unacceptable. I thought that would upset you. This is I, thought I, I am upset. upset I'm upset. Yeah. I'm upset by that. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll catch you next time.